Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10 will be our start-off verse. <clears throat> and uh, we have some sheets here. Bryce, would you mind giving me a hand with this This is just basically an outline that you guys can have for further reference. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10 says, Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. So right off in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10, it says that an aspect of righteousness, which is God's character, is taking care of one's animal. So what we're going to talk about tonight is animal rights in Christianity. And uh, to begin that, we have a little statement here. Uh, There has been an increase in the value placed upon animal rights as well as a devaluing of human life. Has anybody noticed in the recent years, it seems that um, animal rights have come more to the forefront, think post-Roe v. Wade, and almost seems in American culture, in a sense, and I want you guys to talk with me about this, that we see maybe a devaluing of human life, everything from abortion to euthanasia. Well, what do you guys, anybody notice that? Any comments? I, I can tell you firsthand, it's been kind of eye-opening having a Facebook, because, and I'm sure it's all meant well, but I get inundated with save this animal, save this animal, donate to this, donate to that, donate to this. And it's very interesting that if you put up something about an infant, you don't get the responses. Mm. Um, the way the animals. Mm. The animals really, and I love animals. Sure, like sure, lots, absolutely. So, yeah. And we've rescued some, but there's a definite, definite difference okay. in the response to those things. Okay, okay. So kind of like a society at large, like there yeah. seems to be, like a, imagine um, the headline or the nightly news, <clears throat> puppy found mutilated to death reactions of the general public. So let that sink in. On the other side, abortion performed today in Roanoke, Virginia. The public response. All right? The second aspect here, we can talk about this. The existence or non-existence of the Judeo-Christian God, the God of the Bible, sets the plumb line, like the measurement for the value and distinction of animal life and human life. Let's let that sink in. This is very, very important. We're going we're to look at some interesting things and then dive into what the Bible says is the proper treatment of animals. If God does not exist, all right, if God does not exist and we came uh, from the result of a random explosion, random particles coming together from the goo to the zoo to you, then really ultimately, not, not biologically, but morally, is there any difference in life forms? Now, now think. Ultimately, right and wrong have to come from, from something outside of us, right? Because if, if right and wrong is the result of us deciding what is right and wrong in terms of morality, then really it depends upon 
some of us sitting down and creating a set of laws. Well, there may be another group of people who are also people, and they create another set of laws. And they say what's right for us is this, but what's right for you is this. And really, we're all humans, so no one can really say this is wrong or right. But most people understand there is something such as wrong or right, right? Like, take a baby, okay? Torturing, a, this is extreme, torturing a baby with cigarettes, lit cigarette butts, is wrong, okay? Upon what basis can we make that statement? Well, because of God's nature, right? Rights come from God. We know innately that that is something wrong to do. But if God does not exist, then really the only difference between um, uh, uh, what we're going to look in just a few moments, a dog or a pig and a boy, it really is biological diversity, right? So really there's nothing special about human life if God doesn't exist. And often when we dialogue with unbelievers, we're thinking in terms of, like you mentioned, Trish, you, know, you raise something like an infant or, or the abortion issue or the infanticide issue. We say, here's this, this sanctity of life. What is the term sanctity of life? Well, what, what has to be there for something to have sanctity? A value placed upon it. Very good. A value placed upon it. There's got to be something that's other than it's just a blob of tissue, right? Like, we don't, we don't have the sanctity of life for, uh, for example, snails. Okay, it's not to say that, that we're supposed to walk around like a, a sicko with our, our, our salt shaker, right? And be, you know, killing snails or, or things like that. But the issue of sanctity implies that there's value. Well, where does the value come from? We're going to look in Genesis chapter 1 to where God, it's very, very interesting, because Christians historically have, well, now there's the tendency to um, value animals almost to the same level as humans, but in the past there have been a lot of Christians who've really messed up and said that because man has been made in the image of God, then therefore animals are of no value. What we're going to look at is the Bible teaches that it's our responsibility to actually take care of animals properly, but... I want you to think throughout the course of our talk tonight that whether God exists or not, that makes the difference on whether there's any difference between animal life and human life. So um, the rise of animal rights can probably be summed up by PETA. Um, this is people for the ethical treatment of animals or the countergroup um, people eating tasty animals, which, which, by the way, this is not usually the best thing to reference. Um, when you're talking to someone, especially a person who's very concerned about animal rights, that's not the lame joke that you want to bring about. Oh, you're a part of PETA? Well, me too. People eating tasty animals. Have you had a Big Mac today? It's not a, not a good way to go. Um, <clears throat> but the rise in animal rights, um, I checked PETA's Facebook page today, and there were 1,348,696 fans on Facebook. Now, it's a global thing, but that's over a million people. That's not insignificant. Um, and plus, they said that Facebook, if it were a country, would be the fourth largest country in the world. There's well over 400 million profiles, people, uh, on Facebook. So that would be a great way that you can use it to connect with people. On PETA's webpage, there's also another group called the Animal Liberation Front, or ALF. And um, they've actually at one time been placed, uh, and this is, this is previous to this administration, back um, in the 90s, they were placed on a terror watch list. 
And then on their page, we're going to look at some of these in just a few moments, uh, the ALS page, there's the ARM, the Animal Rights Militia. So these are all connected uh, in one sense or another. And this right here, uh, kind of have a, uh, a ninja slash terrorist mask uh, holding or rescuing a uh, little animal there, a baby pig. And this is the Animal Liberation Front's official Facebook page picture. Now, what in the world does do, do ski masks, ninja masks, and pigs have to do with animal rights and Christianity? Here's what it has to do. And this is from uh, the website. And all, all this stuff will be online if you guys want to go, go check it out. Uh, the Animal Rights Militia, ARM, first started in England over 10 years ago with a similar philosophy shared by the Justice Department. And that's not our Justice Department. That's another uh, animal rights group. While supporting the Animal Liberation Front and other strategies, ARM believes that the Animal Liberation Front does not go far enough with regards to direct action. More effective victories can be achieved with poisoning hoaxes and other such strategies. In other words, what that would be is they would break into um, a factory or food production place that has to do with using animal parts or animal experimentation, and they would um, claim that they have poisoned the food supply, which would probably cause the, com or the company to, to go under. Early victories began in the 80s with two successful destructions in San Jose, California. The first on September 1st, 1987 in California cost $100,000 damage to the San Jose Valley Veal Incorporated. A paper products warehouse was burned down, causing major financial loss. The second action was even more costly with $230,000 of damage to Ferrara Meat Company on November 6, 1987. A barn containing hay and grain was destroyed. So what you have is PETA doesn't necessarily endorse using violence to, so, uh, as they would say, liberate animals. But under PETA, there is the Animal Liberation Front, which is more aggressive, that says you should use violence, but not against people. And then the Animal um, uh, Resistance, or the ARM, <coughs> let's see, I forget. Yeah, the Animal Rights Militia says that you can even go so far as not just to burn down buildings, but use violence against humans because humans are experimenting on um, on animals. And here's really the kicker. This helps us understand the mentality. Uh, PETA's stance on abortion, quote, and this is from their website, PETA does not have a position on the abortion issue because our focus as an organization is the alleviation of the suffering inflicted on non-human animals. Okay. All right. So there's no official stance on abortion, but it's for the purpose of alleviating the suffering of non-human animals. So let's talk for just a minute before we get a little bit deeper about animal rights, deceptive terminology. What do you what, what do y'all think when we think of the term rights? What does that communicate? Like animal rights, human rights, civil rights. What what is what does the word rights communicate? We're something. Good. Yeah. That you're entitled to something. Very good. What, 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 what kind of has to be there? What must exist in order for rights to exist? I mean, what, what has to be there in order for you to be entitled to something or to have rights? Innate value. What's that? Innate value. Innate value. Okay. All right. Good. And rights from a higher source. All right. Well, Christian take there. Good. The desire to have those rights. Okay. So maybe personhood. Okay, all right, good. 
What we're about to go into is a lot of the movement with animal rights says that there's no difference between animals and humans. Okay, we're we're all we're all animals. So here's um, a statement. This is actually a really good article, and we've got this linked if you guys want to go check it out. It's from the Discovery Institute, which is a great, great, great uh, group. The article is called, But Shouldn't We Be Nice to Puppies? Okay? It's usually when we talk about this, people are like, well, are you advocating animal cruelty? No, we're going to see just a minute. I think the Christians should be number one, and historically we have been number one in alleviating animal suffering. It would be a really cool story at the end of this, this message. But here's his argument um, with animal rights or animal welfare. And uh, Wesley J. Smith says, so what's the difference between animal welfare and animal rights? Animal welfare acknowledges that humans have unique dignity and value. Okay? In direct contrast, animal rights denigrates human exceptionalism as speciesist. Think racist. Think sexist. Okay? That is discrimination against animals. The ultimate goals of animal welfare and animal rights are in direct conflict. The former seeks to improve our use of animals, the latter to end it altogether. Now once again, if God does not exist, then is there any real difference between organisms? Between animals? There's not. So you could say that if God doesn't exist, then if we have cattle ranches that we are on the same level as, <clears throat> we're going to get to that in just a few moments, as people who are slave owners. All right. So here's the main question of animal rights. What makes the difference between human and animal life? If God does not exist, there is no ultimate transcendent. Transcendent means to come from above, to come from outside of ourselves. Moral difference between a snake and a person. We all catching that? If God does not exist, now no one's going to say, "Well, but hold on now." There's going to be um, there's 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 reason, right? Like humans have reason, but animals don't have reason. So isn't that a, isn't that a distinction? Well, it is. But if God doesn't exist, then really, is there any moral distinction, right? And then if God doesn't exist, then who's to say what is reasonable and what is not reasonable, right? So all of it, this goes back to the question of, does God exist? And this is um, one of the leaders in the past of PETA. Ingrid Newkirk said in 1989, the head of PETA. <clears throat> uh, this is in the mag- magazine Vogue. Is that how you say that, Vogue? Okay, it kind of looks like Vogue, you know, just to throw the French out there to make it sound smarter. Uh, animal liberationists do not separate out the human animal, so there is no rational basis for saying that a human being has special rights. And here it is. A rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. They are all mammals. What do y'all think about that? Talk to me. Well, it takes... You know, I, I see this
You don't have the same risk hmm. to have a relationship with a pig or a dog or a snake. Good point. That's actually a very good point. I've not thought about that, Trish. I'm gonna make a note on that. No, that's Maybe I, my moment. No, Please write it down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> start throwing down on some Socrates in a little bit. Yeah. Pull out the dig. But yeah, that, that's a great that's a great point. There was once something we'll touch on a little bit later, but about um, the increasing emphasis of, of of money and care that people put towards their pets. Not 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 feeding, not basic stuff, but then especially for Christians, do I spend more money on things that my pets don't need than I do on missions? So, if humans are merely higher animals, then we could say this. And in fact, this is exactly what some of the um, really extreme uh, animal liberation people claim. Number one, cattle ranching is equivalent to slavery. Right? Because if, if there's no difference, then you can compare um, Texas Bob with a Roman who's forcing people to work to death in the salt mines. Number two... Lab research on la- on rats would be equivalent to Joseph Mendela, Auschwitz, right? The worst of the worst. So if we believe that all of this is equal, that we're all equal, then why wouldn't you break into a mink farm and try to free them, right? Why wouldn't you try to burn down um, maybe a place that was using um, some type of, of lab research? And here's, uh, this is not Michael J. Fox, this is another guy, Michael W. Fox, one of the, the leaders in the animal liberation movement, he wrote this book called Inhumane Society, The American Way of Exploiting Animals. And he says in Washington, Washingtonian Magazine, we are not superior, there are no clear distinctions between us and animals. Right? We, we, we get in the mindset so far. Because a lot of times we see, why in the world would you do that? Why would you say that? Because this is the mindset, this is the worldview um, that's behind it. And here's our good friend Peter Singer uh, called Dr. Death um, because he advocates that it's okay up until around two years old for the parent to take the life of their child because the child is not yet, um, quote, a person. Because personhood means that you're conscious. And he claims that before two years old that no human child is actually conscious. And if God does not exist then if you buy a dog and the dog doesn't work out and the best way to take care of the dog is to euthanize it, then you euthanize the dog. If the kid doesn't work out, then you euthanize the kid. You see the logic? And he says, and I quote from his book, Animal Liberation, A New Ethic for Our Treatment of Animals. He says, Surely there will be some non-human animals whose lives, by any standards, are more valuable than the lives of some humans. And then um, this is actually a really cool article that our very own Baptist Press um, picked up on several years ago. And uh, the article is called Christianity Harmful to Animals, Animal Rights Godfather Says. And that is Peter Singer. And the article says, and we quote, Singer rejected what he termed the standard view that most people hold. And it's this. That just being human makes life special. He told one questioner from the audience, quote, I hope that you don't think that just being a biological member of the species Homo sapiens means that you do have a soul and being a member of some other species means they don't. I think that would trouble, that that would trouble me. I am an atheist. I know that that is an ugly word in America. Very interesting. 
And some, someone says, but Jeff, no reason. If God doesn't exist, then that, that's fine, but reason is the difference. I'm just going to read this here. If God does not exist, then what is reasonable ultimately rests upon personal opinion, right? Because what I may say is reasonable may maybe not be what you think is and vice versa. And if God does not exist, then who is to say that one opinion is better than, than another? What is reasonable for one may not be reasonable for the other. And in the view of Solomon and Ecclesiastes, the fool and the wise man ultimately in the end are one and the same. That's what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. That in the end, if God does not exist, life under the sun, everything's meaningless. And he says that man and the beast are the same. And Solomon was exact. Now, Solomon obviously didn't believe that, but he's saying that under the sun, if God does not exist, then we're all simply organisms. Some of us just pollute more than others. And that's another um, argument by the Animal Liberation Front. So, y'all ready to get to the Bible? Okay, here we're, we're going to look through just a few verses on the biblical view of the proper treatment of animals. Number one. In the beginning, let's go to Genesis. We're going to be there for just a few minutes. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. And this is so, so, so good, especially when you're talking to people today that are very concerned about animal rights and they think that Christians are the ones who are wanting to destroy the earth and torture animals. It's very, very cool. So number one, in the beginning, there was no conflict between humans and animals. Notice Genesis chapter 1 verse 31. This is after God had created everything. Um, the Bible says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Notice that there was no conflict, there was no death, there was no red tooth and claw whatsoever. God created it, it was all good. Number two, in the beginning, God instituted man, mankind, as a steward or as a manager of animals and the earth. Notice, let's go back to verse number 26. And the Bible says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have... Here's the key word that throws a lot of people off. Somebody remember what it it says right there? Let them have what? Dominion. Dominion. Okay, let's stop right here. For us today, what does dominion... Does dominion usually have a really good connotation? Whoa, whoa, okay. If someone were to say, you go into your new job and say, your boss has dominion over you. Well, I mean, what, what does that communicate to us, the word dominion today? Subduing, okay. Oppressing, abusive power, okay. All right. Reminded us sometimes of the way we viewed our parents when we were little kids and chores and so forth. Like, dominion is not a good thing. So, um, Number three, and this is going to be very, very interesting. Um, Number three, biblical view on the proper treatment of animals, dominion does not automatically mean exploitation. And that's fundamental for us as Christians to understand. Rather, it refers to authority and leadership. And this is the word in the Hebrew that's used for dominion. Okay, And literally, it's a a justice. All right, and that's basically the hardest hardcore command that you can give in the Hebrew language. That's the tense or the stem that it's in. So, so when God's saying um, right here that um, let us and let them have dominion, and then he says over in verse 28, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and every other living thing that moves on the earth. 
God is literally commanding mankind to be stewards of the creation. And so um, dominion is neutral. Now notice how this is going to connect back. And until I was studying for this message, I had never seen this in Genesis 1. Dominion is neutral. Its goodness or badness depends upon who is exercising the dominion. Good king. Good kingdom. Bad kingdom? You don't want to live there. Now notice, go with me back to verse 26. All right, God is saying, let us make man in our image. And then in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. And in the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. So mankind was just created in the image of who? Of God. Now notice what God does in verse 28. God tells them to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over everything. So it's like this. God creates mankind in God's image. God gives them the world that he created. And then he tells them to govern and have authority over it. But in whose image were they just created in? God's image. The one of ultimate goodness and joy and mercy and righteousness and perfection. So God's literally like, okay, here I am. I'm creating you to have my moral nature, to know right and wrong, to do that which is right. And here's what I'm giving you to take care of. In other words, take care of the creation in the same way that you were created. In the image of God. And when we think about how God takes care of us, since we're created in his image, our care of not only, we're going to get to this in this series, uh, Christianity and the Environment, not only how we take care of animals, but how we take care of God's earth as well. And so Genesis 1.27, the image of God, man's dominion of the earth, should reflect God's character and nature. And that is absolutely... I mean, you guys think that's a cool aspect? I mean, I think that it is just unbelievable when we think about that God has created us, He takes care of us because of who He is, and then in the same way we're to take care of what He gave. And that goes back to our Proverbs chapter 10, 12 verse 10. The Bible says, Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. You can also translate this phrase, has regard, regard for the life of his beast, um, considers the life of his beast. In other words, a person who is righteous takes care of the needs of their animal. That's what it's saying. But the mercy of the wicked is cruel. Also, Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. So God notices even when the smallest of the creatures fall to the ground. That's how much mercy God has. Number four, dominion includes the proper, that should be care uh, for animals. Deuteronomy 25, 4, the Bible says, You shall not muzzle an ox even when it is treading out the grain. This means that a working animal should be properly fed. You know what most of us say when we read that verse? Duh. But in a lot of areas in the world, especially in the past, and we're going to look at William Wilberforce here in just a few moments, animal cruelty was a way of life. Not animal cruelty today where we say, you know, I didn't bring my dog for a five-mile run and give it a T-bone steak at the end. Like real, legit animal cruelty. New Testament, especially when this was given, was given in a very, very, very cruel world. 
where God says, feed your animals well when you work your animals hard. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 14. Notice when God says the Sabbath, he includes the animals as well. In other words, he's saying that animals are not to be worked to death. Animals are supposed to have a day of rest like us. And in many parts of the ancient world, animals were literally worked to death because there were plenty of them. You just worked it just kind of like a salt mine worker in the ancient Roman world. Once this one gives out, you pitch it on, you pitch it over the cliff and get another one to come back in. God says, let your animals rest. This was revolutionary when it was given. Uh, Psalm 23, 1 through 4, John 10, 1 through 15, Luke 15, 3 through 7. This is the coolest part of this study for me. Jesus models himself as the good shepherd. Remember we heard that when we were kids? Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. You know that Jesus gives the model, okay, like, like, what am I like? Jesus says, I'm like one who takes good care of their animals. I'm like one who leads their animals away from what will kill them. And two, as it says in Psalm 23, to water, to drink, to food, to eat. And if one wanders away, I'm going to go pursue that one and bring it back. Jesus is the perfect shepherd. So Jesus models his care for us off of one who takes good care of their animals. Number five, proper care for animals reflects our future redemption. Isaiah 11, 6 through 9, it talks about the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf, the lion, and the fatted calf together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. And this is not poetry, this is prophecy. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So one day, God's going to take care of every type of legitimate animal cruelty and everything's going to work together. So because Proverbs 12, 10, the righteous man takes care of the needs of his animal, in doing that, we're reflecting the nature of our creator, and we're giving, in a sense, a picture of the way it's going to be one day. And uh, William Wilberforce, how many of you have seen the movie Amazing Grace? came out a few years ago. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's an incredible movie. Um, the story is he's a young man raised in a very, very wealthy family, He got saved. God used him to lead to the abolition of slavery in the British Empire. But not only that, William Wilberforce and uh, there's a preacher named Reverend Arthur Broom. This is actually still functioning today. It's called the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. And they formed it on June 16, 1824. Animal uh, cruelty began to be eradicated by a Christian. He wrote this down so he wouldn't forget it. It was because of Wilberforce's Christianity that he pushed for the abolition of slavery and animal cruelty. Let our compassion for animals be like a flare that ignites the Christmas tree bonfire, that ignites for compassion for the souls of men, women, who will suffer God's rightful judgment. In other words, the type of of compassion that we feel, um, if you've ever seen a video of legitimate animal cruelty, like that's not right, Someone actually abusing an animal. No point, no purpose. That's not right. That's wrong. Let that be for us who've been saved. Say, you know what? That ought to cause me to be passionate about seeing people saved. Right? 
Because that's legitimate compassion. So then the practical aspect to say, well, how should a Christian actually, I mean, are, are, we supposed, how are, we, are we supposed to have ranches? Are we supposed to get milk and cheese and so forth? Notice what Genesis says once again in verse number 28. God says to fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over everything. In other words, man is supposed to use the creation, that means the environment and animals, for the benefit of man. And the benefit of man does not mean that it's cruelty to animals. Okay? That's a fundamental difference that people have to understand. And once again, if God does not exist, then what difference do you think that would make in our use of, let's say, farming? If God doesn't exist, then we're all what? All beings are what? We're the same, right? But if God does exist then God has placed animals on the earth for the benefit of man, and in man taking care of the animals, man is learning how to be like his creator because God takes care of us. See how it all connects together? That's why it says in Proverbs 12.10 that even the the, the mercies of of the wicked are are cruel. So any, any questions on this? Yes. Animal worship, like like that was spotted out thing in the northwest. Mm-hmm. Actually, when we lived up in Seattle, there was a case of a guy who had gone into a forest and had shot a spotted owl and had tied it to the front of his truck. And he came driving into a town. A mob mobbed him and almost beat him to death. Wow. Hmm. Of course, the moral of that story is wouldn't real bright in the Northwest. Right. Yeah, you don't want to. But that that shows how far it's gone. Mm-hmm. Where um, some people call them viral Nazis, but I think that's too harsh a word. But I think people do have a somewhat of a skewed view of a relationship of man to animals, to where they almost value the animals over right. human life. Right. 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 I, you know, that, and, that, and that's a tough thing because that's a, that's a whole worldview. You know, you're, you're not just talking about one thing like, well, well Jesus is the good shepherd. And they're like, well, that may be good. I think it's good if people are, are, are open and honest. Just to bring in, we, we, just, we just scratched the surface of, of the biblical treatment of animals tonight. This is just an introduction. But to see how Christianity does provide the platform for the proper treatment of animals, the proper treatment of animals in the context of what the Bible says about reality, which is God does exist. He's created us in his image and that Jesus came as a person to redeem humans, not to redeem animals. And so, um, I, but really a lot of this stuff, I think people um, who come to this reject the gospel. It's a lot of baggage. Um, a lot of people, especially these arguments, they say, well, Christians have done this. Christians have done this. It's a lot of baggage. A lot of people have come um, with issues from previous church experiences even. So I think just trying to be real with people, 
Because um, honestly, there's not a lot of, of logical debate you can do if you actually think that there is no difference between a rat and, and a puppy and a boy. Like if you actually believe that, I really don't know how much logical dialogue can happen there. Um, like if one is one is one is one is one, like they're all the same. I think that a lot of times just to pray and just to present the word, be real, because um, there's there's not a lot of, uh, of connections logically. I don't think so. I mean, do y'all to equate all the, all the same? But once again, it goes back to whether God exists. So that's what I actually do with a lot of my, I know we got to go, um, my philosophy classes, because I've, I've never taught, Liberty's given me the opportunity to teach um apologetics forum online this semester which will be very cool we can have do some of that here as well but i've never taught at a christian school it's always secular environments and all these ethical questions always came back to does god exist so and really that takes us out of you know saying well you spend too much money on your dog or this or that to the real question if god exists then everything else falls on the line you know if god exists then obviously christianity is the best bet you know, for anybody who's, who's done the research. So, but ultimately, it's the Lord who breaks through the heart, and we should pray for that and just let people see our humility. But thank you guys for studying this with me, and all the notes will be up on, online if you want to. We've got, got actually another section on here about, um, <clears throat> about sport hunting, which is, which is, I think, a very, very good treatment of that. And uh, just to give you the... Biblical rationale—it's it's okay, but if you need to go check some, because you will—if you are a Christian, you are a hunter, and you get out of a certain area of the United States, you will be asked. I've been asked you before. So, do you hunt? You know, kind of like, are you a, are you a murderer? So, it's a, it's a good way to treat it from the Bible. So, let's pray, and uh, thank you guys for studying this with me tonight. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and how it is truth, and I pray God that you would help us to realize that you have given animals to us. Um, one of the reasons, Lord, is to teach us how to be like yourself, to provide for those who are totally dependent upon us, and that we would, Lord, let our, our, our good treatment of animals simply reflect um, our greater compassion for the souls of men and women that, um, if they do not repent, will suffer your just wrath. So would you help us to disciple people this year, to share the gospel, and to be filled with true compassion, compassion that is gospel-laden. In Jesus' name, amen.